Hello and welcome to Randomer Nintendo number six. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I'm Kevin. Angel, you're back. You're not just Angel, you're the returning Angel. You've upgraded from the naive Angel of Bayonetta 3 or whatever it was called. That was a thing. I had forgotten yeah. about that. Thank you very much. Not that that you're was welcome. a bad thing. You're welcome. I'm here to remind you <laughs> the naive Angel is a thing. Um, how you guys doing? Um, pretty good. Um, you know, just figuring out everything that's going on, you know, becoming, I guess, a homeowner and stuff. That's always fun. You can't just casually but, throw that in there. That's a big deal. Say it with more moxie. You became a homeowner. You know, doing that, that adult, that adult stuff. But other than that, you know, just trying to draw more. Not happening as often as I would like. Trying to read more also not having as much as i would like but we're getting there can't even believe that it's almost the end of the year it almost still feels like 2022 Wait, it, is like hold on done. we still have four months what are you talking about <laughs> or three months i guess we're, we're still have yeah. a quarter of the year left it's not like okay yeah it is almost the end all right i'll give you that yeah yeah, yeah. doesn't feel like it to your point yep. yeah yep. what about you kevin yep. what's going on on your side of things Nothing, man. Absolutely, Jack. I'm about to have a uh, like a nice little break away from work, though, so I'm really excited about that. I haven't had yeah, baby, too much time plans. for myself for a while now. Does uh, that mean you're just going to go way off the deep end with your um, custom keyboard stuff? Because there's no time constraint stopping you from doing them? You know what? There is a group buy right now for this custom keyboard. It, it'd be essentially the same <laughs> keyboard that I have right now, but you, you never know what you need to, you know? Uh, that so yeah, you never know if you're gonna spill something on the first one. I know you're a big, uh, you know, energy drink consumer. Those are sticky, so if yeah. it spills, you need a backup at, on the spot, especially yep. if you're in the middle of a game or something. Yep, yep, I get yep. It. So I, I don't I'm not know. trying to. I'm not trying maybe, to. Maybe I'll uh, get in Scarlet Red. I don't know. I'm not trying to enable your keyboard. Uh, definitely sounds like here, it. But I'm definitely doing that. But it's not. It's with the best what, intentions. Have you seen what like? The really high end keyboards cost. Like, I mean, are you already basically getting the the best you can get, or like how crazy does it get? Because I know, you know, with any hobby, it could get really expensive. Oh, they can get really. Have you already started really digging? It can, it can get into the thousand, like margin. Damn, that's crazy. Well, I mean, you have full computer at that point. Brand at that point, <laughs> or are they like actual gold or gold plated? Probably platinum. Uh, the materials in which the, the, uh, I guess the case is made out of, uh, depending on the kind of form factor that the PC is. So like, there's like very ergonomic keyboards, like ergonomic keyboards are already pretty expensive on their own. Like if you were to get one, like out of Best Buy or whatever, but like then getting a custom, uh, one that you can like customize your liking, then of course it gets even more expensive. And then it depends on the, the key, key caps are very expensive. So those can run you at least like a hundred bucks, and if they're some sort of limited release, those can run up a couple of hundred. And then switches are an entire thing, depending on how many, however many keys that that board might have. You're gonna have to buy that many switches. You either get cheap switches or very expensive switches. So yeah, it can run up in ten thousands for sure. So are you are you more interested in having like a unique keyboard or having like a high end keyboard? Because if you're looking for unique. 
There's that Pokemon Teaches Typing DS keyboard nope. you can buy. There's the WaveBird wireless GameCube keyboard for Fancy Star Online you can buy. Like, if you want, like, a collection of weird That's keyboards. not really unique. A unique would be, like, a one-of-a-kind one thing. Those okay. Okay. keyboards are Diamond Dozen. Those, well, I wouldn't go Diamond Dozen, but they're they're more common. That's true. I'm I mean, sure when you said when you, when you said, I mean, when you were saying like unique keyboards, those were literally the first that popped into my head, and then you said them, um, and I'm like, oh, yeah, because we're on the same wavelength, Angel. Great minds think alike. Yeah, or we're both so tainted by our Nintendo fandom over the years that that's just where our minds go, which is probably what it actually is. It's true. I'll, but if you say video game keyboard, I can't really think of any others. Typing of the Dead on Dreamcast. Did that come with its own keyboard? I think it did. Well, it was a Dreamcast game about typing, so I assume it must have. Must have something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there are people. I mean, I, I, it's an expensive investment, but I, I admire the people that collect all the like quirky riffs on consoles, like the Pikachu N64. The I don't know if you guys remember the GameCube days in Japan. There's the Panasonic Q, which is a GameCube with a DVD player attached, and it was chrome, like it was shiny. Uh, mm-hmm. I seriously considered the Panasonic Q actually at one point, but it like when I was like fourteen, but it just didn't make sense because it was region locked and stuff. But well, isn't it um, still like separate software, like the inside? Q? Yeah, yeah. So how I believe how it worked is they literally just adhe- they do just took some adhesive and stuck a GameCube on top of a DVD player, a mini DVD player, and then like encased the whole thing in Chrome. So yeah, I think the DVD player and the GameCube were two separate devices that just shared a shell and shared a single output to your TV. So you turn on, like you could turn it on, and obviously the DVD player work or the GameCube would work. But it's not like you go to the GameCube menu and select DVD. You put the disc in either one, and that kicks off whichever one it is, I believe. But but you don't see that many actually of those sort of weird consoles anymore. I guess the Xbox still does it. Like they do all those giveaways where they have like a fuzzy Xbox to promote Sonic or the the movie. Yeah, they make so many weird ones. They had like a crazy Shredder one where it's like Shredder literally coming out of the Xbox. That's kind of cool. But yeah, they do like cool, like, I don't know what to call it. They do like adhesive things on top of the standard Xbox. They put extra plastic, they put different materials. Like, that's kind of cool. But like, weird consoles, quote unquote. Even Nintendo, like, they're, you know, like the Scarlet and Violet Switch OLED coming out, the Splatoon one that just came out. Like, those are just color swaps at this point with maybe like a different back panel design. But they don't do like weird anymore. Or things like the Fantastic N64 colors, where it was like they completely replaced the shell with like see-through. It's all very like clean now, which is nice, like pretty aesthetic of the Switch, which is clean itself, especially like the menu and stuff. But um, I don't know. I kind of miss the like gaudy, weird hunks of plastic shooting out in every direction uh, consoles, just for the uniqueness of it, I guess. I mean, did you ever have that Pikachu N64? I mean, it sounds like you would have had it based no, on No, no, because I didn't see a reason to have two N64. Which is kind of what I'm saying up front. Like, I kind of admire people like, or, like can justify buying all these different ones. I don't really, like, buy any variants of a console. I'll buy, like, the tech variant, you know, like, if there's an upgrade, like DS to DSi, 3DS to 3DS XL, Switch to Switch OLED, but I don't do, like, the same console over. Um, I tried very hard. I don't know if I ever told this story on podcast, but when I first got my Game Boy Color... I really, this was in peak Pokemon days, and I really wanted the Pikachu Yellow Special Edition Game Boy Color. Like, it was a, it was literally a Pikachu Yellow Game Boy. I don't know if you guys remember it, but around the rim of the screen, like that black um, bezel, it had like art of like Totodile and, or no, not Totodile, that's, I'm getting ahead of myself, had art of Pikachu and uh, maybe a couple other of the early Pokemon. Um, 
and I thought I at the time I was like, oh, this is so cool, this is amazing, um, and I was really, really wanting it. We went to like all the stores in my town in Montana at the time, of which it sounds like there aren't many, but there's at least four, maybe five. Um, no one had it. I ended up selling for the teal Game Boy Color, which I ended up being very happy with, and now think I made the right choice because I don't know if I would have always wanted the the Pikachu Game Boy as I, you know, got older with my Game Boy, but. Yeah, like that was the closest I ever came to one of those special editions was just really wanting that Game Boy. And in and of itself, it was just a color swap, essentially. It's exactly what I was saying. It's not as exciting. But no, I never I never really seriously considered the N64 where you have to press Pikachu's foot to reset it. No. Did you ever consider anything like that? I think by the time I found out about it, it was way too late. I didn't don't remember really hearing about it pretty early on. But I definitely would have wanted it. I know there was an orange version of it that I think was from Japan. Yeah, that one was super rare. In the States, I believe it was just the blue and the blue base, like kind of a like, I don't know, like royal blue uh, or navy blue with uh, Pikachu on it. And then Japan, yeah, they had the blue and the orange. And I, I want to say there might have been a green or something too, but I might be misremembering. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it just seems like we kind of moved past that era mm. i guess in a way the keyboard stuff that kevin was talking about is kind of that like you could still sort of like make your own thing and get as weird as you want because like the keyboard stuff i've seen i don't think yeah, so and, many custom keys of like every yeah exactly you and you, you can have them be weird shapes you can have them be like squishy you can have that like people can get weird with it so maybe that's just it's like a modular do-it-yourself like version of those gaudy n64s or whatever i don't know but yeah it's uh I, maybe it'll come back. I mean, the '90s are the '90s are back in full force now, like to an insane degree. So maybe, maybe see-through plastic, you know, that kind of translucent plastic and bulbous things and all that. Maybe that, maybe that'll come back. I mean, the aesthetic of the '90s, you know, bold, mismatched color, all that stuff is is back again. So doesn't seem that far removed. Is there anything that, like, you know, like I was kind of saying how? I would have maybe liked to collect those, but it didn't make sense to me. Is there anything you've always made? That'd be cool to collect, but it just never made – it was it just wasn't feasible to do. Because you're more of a collector than me, Angel. Point, it definitely felt like statues were, and they still kind of are. But we've slowly been getting some. Because for the most part, you know, I, I feel like most collectors, you know, I guess that aren't the same – I don't even know what to call it. Um, like-minded collectors, like, well, I guess to me, I feel mainly stuck with like action figures or anything that's posable. Because you know, in the beginning, you just want something posable. You want everything to be, you know, just pose and I, I guess you display things however you want. But at one point, I don't know when it was that. I guess it was when I started just getting more and more busy. Um, there was a point in my life when my brother and I, we would like to constantly be posing our figures. Like, you know, we have them on display, pose them out a little different once in a while, move on. But at some point, I just stopped doing that. And if anything, I guess because you have posability, you know, the hinges are sometimes not the greatest or the bestly designed. So they end up making the figure not look as great as it could. And then we started looking at statues and... You know, it kind of solves both issues. We have a figure that's always posed in a really cool way, while also not having any of the downsides of having hinges, because we're just not really going to pose them anymore. 
but you know statues are usually big and really expensive and yeah we we like, don't really have the space for that but there's or go but ahead, over go time ahead, sorry. what i i was about to say something but they kept going to so go i just think go ahead sorry oh but not story short yeah i don't know when it happened but I think the Phoenix Wright first four-figure statue that I was got me for my birthday one year was kind of like the band-aid rip of what if we just get statues and yeah like I've gotten that I've gotten this big non-transforming shockwave that you know it's basically a statue it's posable but it's also a robot so the hinges are actually super hidden but it's basically a statue and then, you know, my brother also got, like, a Rathalos head statue. He's been buying more, like, Batman busts that are more statues than anything. So even some of the first four figures, even though they're posable, they're, like, barely posable. But you mainly get them because they're more, like, statues, if anything. And we did end up getting, at some point this year, it's going to come, or maybe next year. It's, like, a giant statue of the last Ronin turtle. It's basically the only surviving turtle in a future timeline and he's like all dressed in black but behind him you see like the three ghosts of the other turtles that died and it's a really cool statue but it's also really big so at one point yeah i did have something like that but i guess we broke into that i uh i was speaking to a mutual friend of ours yesterday and he was talking about how many or how much money exactly you spent on figures every year (laughs) And I told him it's not more than like five hundred, and he said it's way more than that. I feel like the minimum would be five hundred. Like that'd be on an off year for them. Is that a safe assessment, Angel? Uh, it kind of depends on the year. Um, this year has probably been—I wouldn't even say past two hundred. Oh, never mind that then. But. We've definitely had years where it was probably more than a thousand. I mean, in just Anime Expo alone, we we spent like a thousand bucks. So, I mean, that day alone. But actually, not all of them were figures, though. I mean, one of them was that like the the Dumbo portrait. I mean, that was two hundred bucks. That wasn't a figure. Yeah, I guess I've just been collecting other stuff as well. I I will say. Maybe a lot, if you was kind of an average at one point, but probably lower now, if I have to guess. I've got this Chainsaw Man uh, statue that I'm, I've been eyeing at that I have a month to decide whether I want to buy it or not. It's $463 before tax. Well, kind of, that, kind of brings the, that kind of brings the question back to you then, because, um, you know, we were saying how, like, there's things that can be collected that we just don't. It's not necessarily feasible. So, like, is there? I guess keyboards. But besides keyboards, is there something you want to collect? Like, have there been statues and stuff you want to collect it, or other things that you're just like, yeah, this doesn't just make this just doesn't make sense. I can't do it because I think that's kind of you know how we got on the statue track here from the game console track a second ago. Uh, uh no. This is the first. Like, keyboards are the first thing that I like actively go out of my way to find like new products for and stuff like that. Like statues, mm. I have mm-hmm. two statues. I have an Overwatch statue and a Persona statue. That's that's those Overwatch statues really are big and cool though. Yeah, they're very with, they're like hand painted and stuff like that. Yeah. You have the Diva one? Uh the, so the Diva one I I was like debating whether I should get because it's the most it's the most expensive one. I don't think you can get it anymore. 
But uh, that would be cool if I if I do get it though. But I'm pretty sure they don't sell. I think the Diva one was like 350 bucks. No, but I have the uh the Widowmaker one, which was the I think the first one that was that was released. Sounds uh, like a sensible one. <laughs> yeah, and from what I am seeing, actually, I have two Persona ones. Now that I think about it. Yeah, I have an Anne one and a Makoto one. Oh, okay, so the Chainsaw Man like figure would be my my fourth one if I if I get it. But, but that yeah, price point tools. is is that price point's right at the spot where it's a tough choice. Yeah, and that's before tax too. So right, right. Uh, it doesn't look like you get the Diva one anymore. Damn, I should have gotten it when when I had the chance. It was only three hundred fifty bucks back then. And oh. that's how the collecting bug starts right there once you start missing stuff and then you need to stand exactly like i have i have a month to to decide whether i want to buy this thing or not because once pre-orders are closed this thing is probably gonna get like skyrocketed in price yeah for sure yeah the the first like firsthand i've seen that happen with like the first four figures uh figurines or whatever like all the nintendo ones they do um you know they do a limited run it's done ones yeah exactly and golden cat mario statue and there's been so many times it's like, oh, what if I just get one? Like, that'd be cool. Oh, but then, really one, they're huge, and where do I put them? And two, once you get one, it starts. And you're like, oh, but if I got that one, this one needs to go with it. Like, they have a Kirby and a DDD, for example. So you need the DDD. Well, DDD is coming out, but you need the DDD if you have the Kirby. And that just snowballs. And then next thing you know, you have a room that has 65 of these statues, and you spent $20,000. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, just be careful, Kevin. Be careful. That's all I'm saying. Um, I think the, but I was gonna say, I think the the closest I probably come to that sort of like snowball effect is like, honestly, how I go about buying games. Like, I, there are some first party games I skip, but um, definitely more often than not, I'm, I'm like, oh, I need, like, I can't. I have all these Switch games, especially the physical ones. Like, oh, I have all these physical Switch games. I can't like switch now to digital for Splatoon three, or I can't skip Splatoon three. It's a major release, so like, it's like this weird like half collecting, half wanting to play. Like, yeah. I'm I'm a weirdo. Is the point? Yeah, so much justification for things you don't want to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because like, especially Splatoon three. I was like, I should just get it digital because like, you know, we have our game nights that we were gonna start Splatoon back up once your schedule frees up, Angel, and stuff like that. And it's just like ah, it's keep switching the cartridge. Like when I've been traveling, like in August, I went to a bunch of different places, and I kept deciding like which games should I bring, and it was like a whole decision. I shouldn't be a decision, but I'm too far in. I'm too far in. I can't switch now. Uh huh. Switch. The fact that say what game should I bring instead of like I just need to take my Switch because they're all exactly exactly. It's not like I take my iPhone somewhere. I'm like, which app should I have in my pocket (laughs) today? Like it's so at the time it was so. And I mean, wouldn't that make you you more comfortable at this point? Then shouldn't you uh, uninstall all your apps except for like maybe like twelve of them and just limit yourself to like, all right, I can only have ever like twelve apps at once. No, I need to no, no. Well, I did organize my apps like a year ago to simulate. Um, think as if no. you had physical ones. No, 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 no. That, that's bring a, little no. paper tiles with you. That will represent your ass. <laughs> and then and then put them on top. Like put attach them to the back of the phone as if they're like an old Game Boy cartridge, like in the top. Yeah, that, that. exactly. People give me such a weird look if I'm like, like, like. Oh, can you look up on Yelp if this restaurant's good? One second, I like fish out like a little post-it size thing with the hand-drawn Yelp logo and like stick it to the back of the phone. Like, all right, I'm booing up the app. Hang on. Yeah, no, <laughs> that would not. That would be so, so weird. But I did say Splatoon. I did mention Splatoon. And um, it's out. It's being played. Uh, Kevin, did you even buy it? I know Angel's done single player. Have you? I didn't even know it was out. 
Oh, well, Kevin, good news. Uh, big news for you. Splatoon 3 is now available on the Nintendo Switch family of systems. So now you know. Uh, but, Angel, you beat single player? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I did. I what'd you, beat it on what'd you one think? setting. It was really fun. Um, Definitely, you know, honestly didn't feel that. I mean, which was expected. I mean, I wasn't expecting it to feel different in Splatoon. But, you know, just at face value. Um, it was pretty much the same as the campaign from the second game, where like everything is split into islands. You go from place to place, do the levels that, in that area. Don't they that skill tree isn't that new? Um, there was there's always been some kind of upgrade system ah. in place. Okay, I don't remember if it was exactly like this one, but there's definitely always been like an upgrade system, like where you could just like over time slowly increase the like the fire rate of your gun, or get more ammo, or stuff like that. The biggest difference in this campaign is you know some levels will have you use the two new weapons, mm-hmm. and you have this salmon salmonoid. That follows you around like a little grenade that you can use whenever. Like that's definitely like the biggest thing. And you can customize his hair. Mine has a mohawk. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <Okay>. sorry. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, I mean even even so, like I mean I knew what I was getting into and it was exactly what I liked about the Splatoon campaigns. They're just short little challenges. They pretty much they help you get ready for single player. Um it did have a couple really hard levels, just like the the octopus expansion had, if anything, the difficulty is probably more in line with that one. Somewhere in between. But yeah, some levels are pretty nasty. And interesting thing about this one, it's almost like they finally took some of the main feedback, which was, you know, the first one came out, had a bunch of bosses, cool. They're obviously all unique because it's the first game. Second Man. game feels like it had... Maybe one new boss, if any. Everything, if I recall, was almost like a redux version of a boss from the first game. Or just like a slightly modified one. But I mean, just the fact that I can't even remember if there was any new bosses is already saying enough. Says it all, yeah. Yeah, this one, but you know, they still had a bunch of bosses. Um, This one, on the other hand, actually has at least only three bosses in the main campaign. There's like... Every single world doesn't have one like the other one did, which is interesting. But every single one of those three bosses is completely unique, and I won't spoil what they are because I didn't, I wouldn't have guessed that what the bosses were could actually be spoiled, let alone what you do with the bosses. Which, yeah, if you are just a general, I guess, Nintendo fan, definitely should just be playing them anyway. But in general, the way this one is paced is definitely unique to it. Because you now have this, I guess, fuzzy ooze, I think is what they called it. And that fuzzy ooze is what is gatekeeping you from going from island to island. Every time you beat a level, you need to, I guess you get some salmon egg points and you use those to clear out some of the, yeah, some of the sludge. Because if you touch it, you turn into like a fuzzy potato person. Uh, this is what you look like. And then you die. So, you know, the game just like restarts right away. So it's a instant death touch thing. And I cleared out the first island 100%, did every single mission, did every single side thing. And I, by the time I was done with it, I had a bunch of salmonoid eggs. But I wasn't really spending them 
crazily yet. I went to the second island, and I also beat every single world again, and did everything cool. There are still four islands left. Um, after the second one, there's a split, and you can either go to one island that has what looks like a beacon signal coming out of it, and then you have another island that doesn't. And for whatever reason, I just decided I'm just going to go to the other one because it feels like a, like a Mario, New Super Mario Brothers thing where you pretty much at some point you get the option to pick which world you want to take on, but it's just one linear track. I guess that means there's two worlds you don't have to do. And it turns out I was both right and wrong. So I completed the third island 100% complete, but there was no boss there. So I was like, okay. So then I went to the next island, and then there was a boss. And this was also the final island, and there was a boss there. But then it was like, oh, we need to find the third thing. So it's like, oh, okay. So you have to do these three specific islands. The other ones don't matter. And because I had 100%ed three islands, by that point, I don't know, something flipped, and I just wanted to see the ending. So because I have so many salmon eggs, I was literally able to just make a beeline for wherever the boss was located and just systematically remove the, the the ooze that was blocking my way to get to the boss. So when I went back to that island that had the boss, I did no other levels except for the boss level, beat that one, and then just made my way, and then using the same strategy, like didn't even have to do any more worlds because I had so many salmon eggs at that point, I just did that again. I went to straight to the boss, beat them, went to the final island, straight to the little... Oh, no. Yeah, after we got all three pieces, that was it. And, yeah, then you just go to a second stage where even more craziness happens. I actually had one of my questions that I've had since Platoon 2 in the back of my head answered. That kind of blew my mind a little. And it was just satisfying. Satisfyingly funny. Well, but was after it you answered be- through the main story or was it answered through those little, like, notebook scraps? You oh, it was answered through the main like story. History. Oh, okay, okay. Because yeah, I thought the notebook you, scraps are a cool world building thing, like scanning. Oh yeah, and they yeah they straight up offer they straight up tell you like how this world came to be. I did not expect them to just like I thought they were gonna keep it a little more mysterious for a couple more games, but nope. It's just like yep, this is how all sentient life came to be in the ocean, and this is everything. And when and I feel like the whole game actually has a really dark undertone about the future of humanity. Yeah, just like even, even though it's so like can, from literally candy coated. Yeah, but I guess that's for the writers to worry about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, satisfying, fun, little puzzle solving that was also kind of tricky. But, but yeah, I would definitely still recommend, especially. I mean, if you haven't played Splatoon at all. I mean, just like the last one, this is the one to jump into. You definitely don't need to play the previous one. But, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I just need to play the multiplayer and dive into the locker system and all that other fun stuff. Yeah. I haven't really yeah. touched any of that. I'm kind of in the same. But I will say, by the way, the the, the um, sludge, the fuzzy sludge, I don't care what Nintendo tries to sell it as. It's always, in my mind, going to be a double reference to the Mario Sunshine Mario Sunshine, Mar- wow, Mario Sunshine Sludge and the Touch Fuzzy Get Dizzy thing from Yoshi's Island. Like, I don't care if they say it's its own thing, it has a purpose in the world. It is always, to me, going to be a nod uh, to It feels like games. one of the biggest stretches ever, but. It, right. No. 
<laughs> no, in fact, all of single player Splatoon is kind of a hybrid of like, like how you jump from like platform to platform is kind of Mario Galaxy like. What how you're shooting and doing stuff is kind of Mario Sunshine like. Like the, the the game wears its inspiration on its sleeve, and I'm all for it because it's very good inspiration it's pulling from. Um, but yeah, I'm actually kind of in the same boat as you. I uh like going into Splatoon three as you you guys know, and I've definitely said on the show before, so everyone who listens knows. I had those hesitations as missing some sort of like you know, newness to differentiate from Splatoon 2, which, as you point out, Angel, like, a lot of people didn't even consider Splatoon 2 to kind of be a full sequel. Like, it was jokingly considered Splatoon 1.5 by a lot of people. The single player just kind of lifted a lot of the same stuff. Uh, so it, it's funny that, you know, you also started with single player for Splatoon 3 because that's exactly what I've been playing so far, too. Um, like, I never really dove into single player with any seriousness in the first two. Like, I do some levels early on, and then I kind of just went into multiplayer and kind of forgot single player was there and never really went back. But uh, this time I decided to actually dedicate time to it as well, um, especially since, like, reviews were saying it is a little more fleshed out. There's a little more to it. The story's interesting. So for me, um, maybe this is kind of the freshness I needed to help differentiate the game from the other two because I'm playing it from a different entry point, if you will. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, I, I basically agree with everything you say. I'm not as far... I haven't beaten it like you, but... Um, so far, it's been great. Like, I really do like how it is kind of, there's a lot to do if you want there to be a lot to do, but it is relatively simple. Uh, it has that, you know, that's the kind of upgrade system, the skill tree we were talking about. There's a variety and challenges and levels. Um, like, I haven't found myself, again, I'm not as far as you were, but I didn't find myself repeating a lot of tasks to any sort of frustrating degree or anything like that. I don't know if you did as you got through the whole thing, but for me so far, it's been great variety. Um if anything, it's probably helped me experiment with weapons I never would have used otherwise. Uh, and, you know, we already kind of talked about how the story's fun and gives some good world building. And the presentation's really clean. The world you're kind of transported to for these islands looks really nice. And being able to just sort of view the single-player mode as, like, my new thing, so to speak, did let me just sort of take at face value what else they've changed in the game. Like, I'm not so looking Jason's for playing... things... Daily Fall Guys and Splatoon? That's pretty No, awesome. I haven't been playing Daily Fall Guys for a little while, but I do want to jump back in <clears throat> now that they have um, Season 2 going with the Outer Space theme, so maybe more on that next episode. Um, I really hope you win a crown before the end of the year. I will. I will. I also need to win a weighing contest in Kirby's Dream Buffet. That's another one I haven't gotten first place in yet. Um... But what was I? What was I saying? Oh yeah, because I was because I sort of am taking Splatoon three single players like the new thing I haven't really experienced. That is letting me kind of look at the rest of the game sort of face value. So I like I'm not looking for things that aren't there anymore. I'm just experiencing what they did change. And I haven't dove too deep yet, but there's a ton of quality of life improvements, like from how the lobbies work to being able to skip past like the opening broadcast when you boot up the game. Like there's a noble uptick in the visual fidelity. And the world building is just like from what I've seen so far. It's it's just so good in general. Like the Splatlands hub was so has so much more going on than the old plaza. Uh, you know things like when you're in the lobby in your matches, like you could walk around. There's like a DJ booth and you're playing music from all the three games. And like there's the new card game, which I still need to try. But there's just like a lot going on. And more than anything else, and you kind of touched on it, um, the locker system is actually really cool. Like on paper, it seemed like whatever, but um. In practice, like, one of the cool things about Splatoon was always how you can create your kind of own inkling persona, right? You know, the clothing, the gear, whatever is all about, like, the, the real customization. And the locker 
you know, you can customize it with items you buy or earn from multiplayer, from single player, whatever. And it seems okay, sure, you just got some collectibles. But I didn't expect the level of detail Nintendo went for here. Like a key piece of like my real life self as a human, non inkling, is obviously my video game nerdiness, right? And the fact that in game they've made fake Splatoon themed spoofs of real classic Nintendo game boxes and you can collect them and you can put them in your locker to the point before I was making about collecting physical games like I want them all now like I want to go through the multiplayer and get Super Octo or sorry uh, yeah I think it was what they call it Donkey Octo Country or something whatever like a Donkey Kong spoof and they have a bunch of other ones and they're all like Famicom and Super Famicom boxes you can put them on your shelf and yeah it's it's crazy how something so small can be so impactful but like it's really cool. And I wouldn't say, like, if you're not sure about jumping from Splatoon 3, 2 to 3 that, you know, spending 60 bucks or a couple fake game boxes is going to do the trick. But when you combine it with, like, every other change and the beefed-up single player, at least beefed-up in my experience, um, it does feel like more of a step forward than I expected, which is which is nice because going in there was a lot of hesitation on my end. Um, and where the step is probably most noticeable, actually, is something that we haven't talked about yet, which is the tri-color turf war battles that happened during Splatfest. did you you've only done single players i'm guessing you haven't tried this yet yeah i didn't get to try it and yeah if anything i'm looking forward to your explanation because i still have it's, questions of how it works uh, i, that, I like, played it I and like i have a questions. team with four people and then the other ones i split into two yeah something? so i so so we're for context for folks listening we're recording this in the early hours of this weekend Splatfest. go team fun uh but i did spend time in the world Wait, this premiere is going on right now Right now, this weekend, yes, it could. It's uh, what would you? What's most important? What was it what's most important to have if you're abandoned on an island? Fun gear or food or something like that. What would you bring? Something fun, something gear related or some oh, food. Um, I have time. I'll definitely try it at some point. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into it probably later today actually. But this what I'm about to tell you about it is based off the world premiere event a few weeks back. And yeah, the tricolor thing is is interesting. Um, how it essentially works? You're kind of right. It's like a mix and match of teams. Uh, how it essentially works is. Halfway through a Splatfest, the game introduces this alternate type of turf war that will pop up to a varying degree for the remainder of the Splatfest run for however many more hours it is. Um, it was pretty frequent in the world premiere. Nintendo actually said they're going to scale it back, so we'll see what happens with future Splatfests. But basically, you go into the Splatfest, and instead of fighting only one of the three competing teams in this one-on-one standard turf war you uh, are now dumped into a match with all three teams present. So the goal remains to have the most ink on the ground, but now the first place team is dumped into the center of the stage with four players. And the second and third place teams, each represented by two players, each spawn in their usual spots on the side. So those second and third place teams you know, come in and try and you know get their ink, but they also have the ability to grab an item in the middle of the stage called the Ultra Signal. And if successfully grabbed, the Ultra Signal will release a so-called Sprinkler of Doom, that is what the game calls it, that will rain down their ink color around the stage kind of in mass. So if you're the defending first place team, so if you're at the time that they open the tricolor um, battle option, if your team is declared by deep cut during the little cutscene as being the first place team, what you're doing is you're working to stop the other team from grabbing the Ultra Signal and working to cover the entire map as best you can like a normal turf war. Um, and ultimately, you just want the highest percentage of ink coverage between any of the three teams. That's your job if you're the first place team. If you're the second or third place team, all you want to do is ensure that the first place team does not have the highest percentage. 
you don't necessarily need your specific team color to be the highest percentage. As long as first place loses, both of the other teams, second and third, technically win. Uh, I think you maybe get a boost in rewards if your team happens to be the highest percentage of ink. Like if you not only collectively beat the, the defender, but you also happen to have literally the most ink. But ultimately, it's about the second and third place teams working together to overpower the first place team. So when I tried it back in the world premiere, I was on, I think, uh, what was that premiere? Uh, I guess I was Team Rock. That was the leading team at the time. I was Rock, Paper, Scissors. And as it uh, played out, it actually, it, it doesn't feel as much like a turf war as it does like a mix of Rainmaker and Splat Zones, kind of. Rainmaker in the sense that you want to guard the object from being grabbed. And as people try and grab it, there's that brief moment where you can shoot to kill, so to speak. Um, but also kind of Splat Zones, because when you're the defending team, you really are focused on only kind of that subset of the map in the middle, uh, in part because that's where the action is to really defend so they can't get the ultra signal, but also because one odd thing Nintendo did uh, is they didn't retrofit the maps for now three teams. So there's definitely circumstances where the other teams will spawn in their normal spawn points, and those are kind of inaccessible if you're dumped in the middle. You know, they're on high part points. You know how the maps work. Like you come in in Splatoon and you kind of come in down into the map, and those spawn points sometimes are a bit protected. So you can never actually easily, if at all, fully cover the map if you do happen to have the manpower to do it because you can't reach some spots. So you almost have to double down on defending the inked areas you can reach in the middle. And it does make for a bit of a tougher job defending as a first place team than I imagined it would. Uh, you know, if you're, it certainly seems like you're at a disadvantage in the first place team versus if you're on the offensive as um, the lower ranked teams together, um, which on the one hand, you know, it made the, the victories I was part of that much sweeter. But on the other hand, it feels like it almost cancels out the efforts of the first half of the Splatfest a little. Like whoever's in the league going into the tricolor period of the Splatfest, um, you know, it feels like they're at more of a likelihood to lose their title than the likelihood that a lower ranked second or third place team is to then gain the first place title. Uh, if that makes so sense. Is that what happened in the last one? Like, was yeah. whoever was declared at first yeah, yeah, yeah. place during that part didn't Team win. Rock went in first place. Team Scissors came out the winner. And people were not happy. There's a lot of complaints about, like, how the balancing is, you know, the frequency of the of the tricolor war. Like, the good news is, like I said, kind of when I started this, um, Nintendo is tweaking things with the frequency of the battles. And since it is server-side, all this stuff, they can continue to adjust everything from the frequency to the maps being used to, you know, tweaking the maps so there is a spawn point for the third team, maybe. And even then, like, the fact is, like, I wasn't super invested in the competitive angle of the broader Splatfest. Like, it was just a fun thing to do. I like in-game events. And if you're not super, super competitive and you just are happy to get whatever, you know, rewards you get at the end, whether or not it's the most number of words you can get. Like the chaos of three teams and their three in colors all at once, all on one map. It's pretty fun. It's frenzied in a way that like some elements of Splatoon art feel a bit more controlled or contained. So it was nice to have kind of that, that contrast. It just has for the defending team that kind of, you know, tripping in Smash Bros, items in Mario Kart, that kind of Nintendo-y, well, it's out of your hands now. It's the system's going to decide what happens because once your first place team is put in the defending you, it, it's not a, it's not quite an equal fight, which is a bit of an odd thing for a game with such a big esports scene. Probably not quite ideal, but if you play more casually, it's pretty cool. And you know, we'll see how Nintendo adjusts in the coming weeks and months. I mean, the Splatfest going on right now, they already, like I said, are tweaking the frequency, so that's going to change just how impactful these tricolor battles are in terms of shifting the balance. So, so we'll see. But um, it's definitely an interesting kind of 
mashup of past Splatoon ideas with a little more chaos. So I recommend checking it out. It's definitely it's definitely fun in its uniqueness, but um, it might not be quite as like even keeled to some folks as some of the other modes. I don't know if this sense. was answered or if, if it's even mm. possible to know, but mm. for those tricolored ones, when let's say Rock came in as first place when it started, like is it basically just like, well, I guess Rock is just gonna be first place until it's over, or? Yep. Like, yep. if they were, like, barely in first place when they got it, nope. like, there's no way that uh, someone else could suddenly become first place and be in the middle, or you're just kind of done, I guess. From my understanding, the, des- the decision of who defends and who is team two and three that is on the offense, uh, that is determined at the halfway point by what happened in the first half of the Splatfest. So, I don't think it dynamically shifts. I, wonder, I could like, be totally wrong. In the beginning, like, or if they're just doing terrible as, like, the first place team, that, like... Maybe even like halfway through that halfway, like they were already like in third place, but they're still forced to play as the first place team. I I honestly almost... could be totally wrong about that. And what you're saying, if it doesn't work like that, seems like a really good way to sort of balance out the complaints about the fairness, because then every team goes through that basically. Yeah, it kind of feels like first. it should constantly be shuffling to whoever's currently in first, because there's no way like Rock was in first that entire halftime. Like they probably made it to like second or third place like at some point during that period right like in that back half which yeah which only buries them more it's almost like guaranteeing that like you know kicking them while they're down at that point and and again they could already be doing i'm sure there's someone listening who's like wearing like a squid hat right now it's just like oh my god you guys yes it does switch but as far as i'm aware i don't think it does um but yeah that that's if it doesn't like i said that's just like an easy band-aid to the whole situation but We'll maybe have the answer before we even post this episode because uh, if we're both playing Splatfest later today, you know, we'll, we'll know. Yeah, we'll definitely try to. Uh, I think the halfway changes. point is. I think the halfway point is going to be tonight, sometime. So, tonight being Saturday, we're recording on Saturday, everyone. That's Wait, the end on Saturday? No, it's on. Oh, no, it ends Sunday, so the halfway point should be sometime this afternoon or evening because oh, gotcha, it gotcha, started gotcha. at five p.m. Friday. Yeah. So, so uh, cool. We're gonna have outdated info before it even gets posted. Great. Uh, but yeah, it's, <laughs> um, so Tune 3 is actually, yeah, so I, I want to spend more time multiplayer, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, I think they could have maybe still done a bigger new thing, but like, I found a lane that keeps me very content with the game, so I would recommend it as well, like you did, Angel. Um, yeah. Kevin, have you been playing anything at all? I've been ruining my life with Valorant, but that's about it. Oh, would you like to? Nope. Okay. Apex is dead to you? <laughs> Damn. Yeah, what happened to Apex? Uh, I don't, The last couple of updates haven't done it for me. So, that, that was pretty much it. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I know something else that hasn't done it for you, because you, you make it very apparent to us that you feel this way. Uh, what was your takeaway, Kevin, your main takeaway on the big Nintendo Direct that happened a week ago? Four to ten. Next topic. Okay. Angel, what was your big <laughs> why um why why do you say that? Was it just the games didn't click or there wasn't enough surprises? Like what what makes you feel that way? Oh, I thought you were talking to Angel. Uh oh no, I, I circled back to you, sorry. I was just incredibly bored the entire the entire presentation. So you're not a fan of farming no, games. Nothing, gotcha. Nothing popped out at all. Yeah, I uh Angel, how do you feel about it? Um, it's another one of those, like, well, this is a great direct for people that are really into those types of games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For yeah. me, it was like, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I 
I don't think I hated it or anything, but yeah, kind of like Kevin, like there wasn't really anything too exciting. Like I think occasionally when they brought out the, I think the things I found most exciting were things that were already established. And even then, like, you know, like, oh, Diddy and uh, Pauline getting at it. Pauline, yeah. It was like, like, oh, that's neat. And then like, oh, Mario Party 1, 2, 3 coming to Switch. Like, I think that was probably the the thing I was most like, like, oh, that's pretty cool. Finally. Because, yeah, I still have to, like, plug in the Wii U to play Mario Party 2. So it'd be nice just to have it on the Switch already. The best Mario and, Party. Just saying. And then and then kind of like, uh, like, really, Nintendo, you're doing this was the Pikmin 4 announcement. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because at this point, it was like, like, didn't you learn your lesson from Metroid Prime Four or Pikmin Four? Well, hold on. Matter? To be fair, to Pikmin Four, I know it was more than gave Pikmin. us a yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they gave us a yeah. shirt that you can buy right now, which was a very weird move. They'd never done like, here's some Nintendo Direct merch you can buy right now. But, yeah. Still though, yeah. I, I feel it, it still feels it was, it was way light too on, early. On, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know if Nintendo realizes this, but like, people, like, are already going to buy your game. Like, I don't think they have to convince people too hard to get Pikmin 4, so I don't know if they feel like they need to promote it this early. But, I don't know. Maybe the the ecosystem has changed, and well, maybe... It, I mean, you have I Pikmin th- Bloom out there, but... I think that's I why. Know. I think it's because of gave me, It gave me those vibes. I wasn't too excited for Pikmin 4, if anything. I would like to see, like, a port of Pikmin 2. And maybe I'll try Pikmin 3 again on the Switch with my brother. Currently 40% but... off. To promote but yeah. Celebration uh, uh, of Pikmin 4. But otherwise, yeah, I don't, I can't even remember anything else that stood out that wasn't like, like, oh, this per- this game is going to make this person happy. But, yeah. Well, to, to touch on the Pikmin thing real quick, and then I'll share what I thought of the direct. Um, but to touch on the Pikmin thing real quick. It's funny that you're saying it was so, like, whatever to you, because that right there, that was the highlight for me. Like, Pikmin 4 is finally actually real. Like, we, we've we been waiting since Shigeru Miyamoto told, I think it was Eurogamer in 2015, that Pikmin 4 was nearly finished. And in that time, in that seven-year wait, we got Hey Pikmin on 3DS, we got Pikmin Bloom on, Bloom on mobile. They're basically, like, keeping the seat warm, I guess, for this to happen. It was only a matter of time, but yet finally, finally, that time is coming next year in 2023 but at least they confirmed this is a real game that exists like here in 2022 we at least learned that there's you know a new on the ground camera perspective there's some sort of simplified controls whatever that means um we saw what i thought looked like really nice like the game looks really nice in hd like that proper um hd opposed to an up res or whatever you know quick cinematic um that had no pikmin in it but it looked pretty and then a single stack screenshot that did have some pikmin in it that looked fine uh, and yeah, that was kind of it. So to your point that like it felt like they were maybe showing it early, I was just super happy to get confirmation and see anything and see that, you know, we did have HD Pikmin 3, but this looked like real, like, HD Pikmin, like, but yeah, we learned yeah, the, nothing the beyond that. Of means, means absolutely nothing, because yeah, you, have to, you yeah. also have to remember that, like, showing that it exists, great. I mean, it definitely depends on what you've thought about Pikmin 3 because if you remember sure. Pikmin 3 was a very 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 big disappointment for my brother and I <laughs> so even just announcing that this is a Pikmin 4 doesn't exactly you know raises with a ton of hope like we have to see what is going to be different about this game because if it's just going to be like Pikmin 3 then that's just going to be a bummer 
But and Miyamoto, I mean, ref- in his shirt and refer- that you can buy, and, said on and the And I'm mainly referring to the campaign because he was also <laughs> yeah, championing yeah. Pikmin 3. Because Pikmin 2 with my brother and I just thought that game was just really, really good. It satisfied all of our cravings. And then Pikmin 3 came out and we're like, all right, cool, we beat it. All right, now let's do the post game. Oh, wait, that's it? You mean we already beat it? Like it was that easy? I do think and then, one thing to keep in mind with Pikmin 3 not having a post game and then having that kind of weak, but I know the DLC, correct me if I'm wrong, you were okay with the DLC, right? Yeah, the, like DLC, the DLC, like, yeah, the, the DLC was, it did fill in the void that Pikmin 2 also had, um, because Pikmin 2 had a really strong campaign and post game. Mm-hmm. And then it also had like these really great like challenge levels. Pikmin 3 had some challenge levels, but those were also like really easy and we got through them quick. But then in the DLC came out, they added pretty much like on par, if not crazier difficulty than the ones on Pikmin 2. So on that front, it was like, oh man, they finally addressed that. That was really cool. So hopefully, well, the, the vibe... you know, it, it keeps that trajectory going. Like that's like what yeah. we get more for Pikmin 4, in which case that'd be really exciting. But, you know, just got to wait. Got to wait to see more. The We already knew I... Pikmin 4 was coming regardless of whether they had this trailer or not. Like, there's no way we're right. not going to get it. But this is how right. I felt. Yeah, so no, I agree. I getting agree. a teaser just... doesn't do anything. It's just cool. Now, I guess we just get to move on to the next phase. I but, think, um, well, yeah. two things. One, I think I think Pikmin 3 was somewhat a product of its time in the sense that Nintendo needed to pump stuff out to Wii U because Wii U wasn't selling. So they might, honestly, the fact that they did, like, here's the base campaign. Okay, now here's all the challenge stuff you like from Pikmin 2 coming later. I feel like that as I'm just trying to get it out the door quicker. Like, clearly they still recognize that fans care about the more challenging stuff because they did it as DLC. Um, the question, I think, becomes, in this era of Nintendo, when we see time and time again with stuff like the Mario Sports titles, that they kind of take a, like, diet game-as-service approach where they put, like, a bare-bones thing out first and then follow it up over time. You know, Splatoon really was the one that mastered that process, and they're probably going to do it with Splatoon 3 as well, if I had to guess. Um the question becomes, is that what they do with Pikmin 4, or do they consider it more of a self-contained release, and thus all the challenge stuff will be there day one? That, to me, is the biggest question. Not that they won't do it, just when will they do it? Like, how long do you have to wait after that base game in 2023 to get the stuff you you seek, so to speak? Because, you know, they, they did ultimately do it, right? It's just a matter of, like, when. Which maybe yeah. hurts your argument even more, or helps your argument even more that, you know, finding out the game's coming next year doesn't mean much because you don't know what that is in that package versus what you're expecting at the end of the day or at the end of its life or whatever. Exactly. The other yeah. thing that I just remembered that this is actually the one really positive thing I can say about Pikmin 3 is mm-hmm. that I feel like it, it perfectly, I feel like the controls are perfect. The way the game handles and the way you manage your, your captains, I felt was really, really amazing. I love the fact that, you could just have the gamepad on the side as your map. So you could like micromanage things, especially playing co-op with my brother. The Wii modes, um, used with the AR sensor. No, it's not the AR sensor. The the infrared sensor, IR sensor. Um, like it was just perfectly one to one. Like there was never any issues with it. Like it just felt perfect. Like just the way the game controlled and felt. But I remember trying the demo for Pikmin Three on the Switch. And you obviously lose the gamepad because, you know, right. you can't have that extra screen. And using the accelerometer to simulate Wiimote functionality works, but 
you could tell it's not as great because over time, just by playing normally, it slowly becomes desynced and you have to every once in a while, like press one of the buttons to reorient to what is considered center. And then you just keep going and, you know, losing the gamepad, I feel like the biggest hit, it's almost like being like shown what this game could look like being controlled perfectly. And then you just lose the option to have that again. So that's just kind of like the only like bummer that, you know, I'm just going to have to accept because, you know, they're not going to create a gamepad. Or I guess maybe they're like, if you have an extra switch, you could well, they, connect it like they from multiplayer Party, like where you can like put the two switches together and make a bigger experience. So, yeah. So the tech is there. It's there. Of. If they somehow did that, that'd be amazing. I mean, we have the switch light that we could use for that, but that is kind of like one of like the little things that make me a little sad that I did actually really like from Pikmin 3 that I know it just won't be the same. You know, we're just, we would just have to make yeah. it. But, well, people always yeah. talk about how like the Wii U, the gamepad was never utilized, but like I feel like between Pikmin 3 and Nintendo Land, I can't believe kind of Game and Wario. And it worked. So, damn. what was that? Like I, like, I wouldn't even want to go back to a Ginky controller. Like, I think right, they tried right. enough to felt bad. Yeah. Like, there were some games on Wii U that did utilize that dual screen kind of DS decoupled setup really well. And Pikmin, yeah, Pikmin. So I'm very curious because BMO specifically said, you know, some sort of simplified controls. I'm very curious what that means and if that's Nintendo aware that they can't go back to how well the gamepad worked. And if that means they too are aware that gyro isn't the same as IR and, and what that all looks like. So time will tell. Time will tell. But I do think, to your point about, like, why they even bring it up, and you kind of mentioned it, um, I think it was kind of to sort of do a soft relaunch of Pikmin Bloom. And I feel like I'm probably one of the only people who didn't mind that a chunk of Miyamoto's time was spent on Pikmin Bloom, probably because I'm actually one of the few people who still play the game with regularity. And if I could just take a sec to touch on it, I, I, the game had really started to sort of find its way with some recent updates. Um, when I was giving impressions back when it came out and we were still doing like the old random Nintendo podcast, uh, I viewed the game, I think I even described this way on the show at the time, as kind of more of a walking accessory. Like, you know, some days I'll walk more than other days. Some days I'll go for a walk, like actively seek out walking. Uh, and I get rewarded no matter how many steps I take. Whatever I'm doing, I get rewarded with new Pikmin and printing up my neighborhood with virtual flowers and you know, if I snap a photo somewhere, maybe it will associate that picture with some something in game and like well my Pikmin will have that photo tied to them or like there's a daily log where it shows you where you walked and you can attach a couple photos of your choosing and kinda of, like have a little journal for yourself. And you know, that was kinda of it. Like Nemo highlighted in his little speech about that, you know, you could also like expand what's on your map by walking in new places. But the more I used it, the more like it really was just, if anything, kind of like a real time walking log or journal for what I was already doing anyway, a sort of, like, complimentary Nintendo-fied experience to, I don't know, filling my rings on my Apple Watch. Like, it was just kind of another piece of that. Uh, Which, for me, Nintendo fanboy over here, was fine. But if you don't have that fandom or interest in Nintendo or Pikmin, the actual gameplay loop, like the motivator to keep walking or even opening the app, there really wasn't one that I think was casual, pick-up-and-play-ready in the way that, like, catching Pokemon or doing raids in Pokemon Go are. Like, it didn't have that sort of, like, hook. Um, but lately, Niantic has been adding a lot of stuff uh, these past couple months, really, that enhanced the game a lot. I think it really enhanced the experience, and to some degree, 
kind of justify like that the the full on like soft relaunch that they gave the game in the direct with Miyamoto talking about it. Um, first off, there's actual tangible goals now that are very clearly spelled out. Uh, there's this new challenge menu that sits at the top of the app, and every week you're encouraged to enter challenges to either walk a certain number of steps or plant a certain number of flowers. It's, it's your choice. Um, but to give it a bit more oomph, uh, you can do it by yourself, or the game encourages you to actually work on bigger goals with friends. So anyone your friends within the game, real life or online, all your steps, all your flowers, the tools are pooled into one count per week, and doing it will get you a special seedling that will give you a special decor Pikmin. Now, decor Pikmin uh, have always been in the game. These are Pikmin dressed up thematically to where they were found. So maybe they're wearing a hair tie or a comb because they were, you, you mean know, they their weren't employees was... of Florin decor? Uh, correct. They are not. They're, they're, if anything, they're close to being employees of where they were found. So, like, if you're near a barbershop, like, they have a comb in their hair. If you're, if you get their seedling near uh, a bakery, maybe they have a baguette on their back, like a little sword, or they uh, have a slice of bread as, like, a face mask on their face. Uh, and these location-based ones still exist. They've been there since day one. Um, but what Niantic has started doing are other sets of decor Pikmin that are tied to the challenges. So these past couple weeks, for example, there are special Hanafuda card Pikmin. Uh, you could gain, I think, 23 in all. It ends, I believe, tomorrow. But you'd only get them one at a time, at random, of course, by doing these weekly challenges. And before that, they had, like, fingerboard riding Pikmin, which were kind of fun. Uh, and in tandem with those, they are still rolling out new location-based decor Pikmin. So this past week, they just did some bus stop ones, introduced those to the game. They have ones around hiking. They have ones based on different weather conditions. So not only are you giving these motivators to actually go for a walk for the game, uh, if you want to you know, collect the new sets or the limited sets, but you're given more destinations of where to go because there's new decor Pikmin to get out in the world in different ways. And even to some extent when to go because now they have ones based on weather. So if it's drizzling, you might still want to go walk in the drizzle and as long as you don't get sick because that's how you get like the rain cloud Pikmin or whatever. Uh, and for me, that shifted the game from being more of a passive thing happening when I do choose to walk to an active thing kind of convincing me I need to go walk to get the things within the deadlines that now have been created. Which brings me to the second change they made. Uh, they didn't just add the weekly challenges. They have since gone back and added the ability to repeat challenges multiple times per week in exchange for um, in-game currency. So to me, this is where it really goes like full video game because now the gameplay loop actually like loops. So if you want to make sure you get, for example, all 23 Hanafuda card Pikmin, uh, there's simply not enough challenges per week to do it. You need to put in the effort to repeat the challenges. So kicking them off... Use in-game coins. They can be paid for if you'd like. Uh, they can be earned through in-game actions. Um, obviously, if you go the purchase route, that's Niantic's monetization strategy right there. But whether you choose to pay or not, uh, you then need to go do the challenge. And that means more walks, more nectar collecting to convert your Pikmin's buds into flowers to be planted, more plucking new Pikmin, etc., etc. Like, it's this whole even more active gameplay experience now where you need to do all these things to continue kind of the loop. And um, with all that in mind... I thought it was interesting that Nintendo decided to spend a segment with Miyamoto on this because it was sort of a repitch of the entire Pikmin Bloom project. And I think it's kind of good to do it, not just because I think the game deserves a bigger audience and these changes, but also because looking at it more holistically, I guess, it kind of represented a shift in Nintendo's IP expansion and just mobile game thinking in general. Like up to this point, it was a pretty clearly defined one-way street you know you get the casual mobile folks to play on one device on their phone and then you sort of upsell them onto a fuller experience on the dedicated console um and yet now we have nintendo pitching us dedicated console players to go back out to the mobile experience and check that out 
and I'm sure in parts to get them to invite their non-Switch owner friends to join challenges in the app and maybe get those people into Pikmin in time for Pikmin 4 and then they go by Switches, etc., etc. But also it's probably just a return on the investment of doing Pikmin Bloom in of itself. Like if they could get the console guys over to uh, the mobile game, there you go. If they're spending in-game in coins and real money to do the challenges, that's more for them. But it's just this general thing in general general thing in general is this general thing i'm noticing where nintendo is starting to like go back and forth between their games like we saw the same thing in the direct with mario kart's uh booster course pass like mario kart tour is being heavily promoted to the mario kart switch players if they want like to experience more of those courses and whatnot go check out the mobile app and that's exactly how tour is initially designed to get people to maybe come to the switch to play mario kart or even fire emblem engage um which was the reveal that i think kicked off the direct right um Silly subtitle aside, it's interesting to me how its core premise, the idea of story, sort of like pulling heroes from past Fire Emblem games to do stuff on your team, uh, that's straight up Fire Emblem Heroes. That's literally the premise of Heroes. And that's Nintendo's most successful first party mobile game. So you've got this fan service catering to both the audience and the crowd who bought three houses because they want their sequel on Switch, but you also got this catering to the audience and crowd who are into the mobile Fire Emblem. So it, it's kind of hitting both points and what i'll be really curious to see with fire emblem uh is heroes as you guys know has a gotcha mechanic engage obviously does not so i'm curious if there, if we'll see like a non-gotcha if there are non-gotcha lessons to be learned from engage that maybe get retroactively applied back to heroes because mario kart next month mario kart tour is actually dropping its gotcha system entirely so something's clearly in motion with gotcha and nintendo and i'm curious if engage sort of informs future changes to heroes but yeah it's i guess what i'm getting at is it's just interesting how what was once a one-way bridge from mobile to console is now kind of more of an actual two-way street uh maybe that's a sign of the maturing phone game market for nintendo maybe it's an outcome of their ip expansion working as planned i don't know but it's definitely a shift and i think it's why miyamoto was up there talking about pikmin bloom and almost sort of footnoting that there was going to be a pikmin 4 because I think the main purpose of him being there was Pikmin Bloom, and then they needed to throw a bone to folks that were like, mobile? Bah! Because, you know, when, like, Blizzard announced Diablo for mobile, but not a new one in general, people lost their minds. So I think them trying out Pikmin 4 as they did in a way that you thought was unsatisfactory, Angel, was specifically to counterbalance that they really wanted to, like, relaunch Pikmin Bloom under this kind of strategy. just made it worse. Strategy. I'm just kidding. Didn't make it worse <laughs> that you didn't do it. But anything. yeah, that's, that's, I think, how they got it. But Pikmin Bloom, honestly... I yeah I'm I'm way in, I'm way back into it now. Like I had it, I was constantly playing it, but kind of ho hum. But I'm like going out for walks and doing stuff, and yeah, like I it 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 has its hooks in me for sure. Um, wow, well, little Jason yeah. found his found his game. Well, for I now, mean, are you still playing Pokemon Go at all? No, no, I haven't played it in like two years. <laughs> so this is my new one. Um, and this it still is Pikmin Blue is definitely still more passive than Pokemon Go because you know you just walk and it tallies and whatever but um the reason to go on the walks and turn on the flower planting and stuff it, it, there's more of them so um but i never actually said what i thought of the direct as a whole because uh, you guys are both kind of ho-hum on it uh, i think i'm with you in terms of some of that like i i consider it like kind of a solid but not spectacular nintendo direct like obviously you guys made this point how you feel does it does ebb and flow based on the games shown and uh, if you're a fan of farming games there were five of those so i can't really say i was disappointed to direct because i honestly wasn't expecting anything yeah like there wasn't like anything that i was like oh man i really hope we get to see this or that or whatever right so you know it was just there like i mean i I was only like casually watching it on the side so 
I, I think I that's my issue part. with it, the fact that I wasn't expecting anything, and I was still disappointed. <laughs> I mean, listen, there was a lot of JRPGs, there's a lot of farming games, um, but yeah, there wasn't a sort of... I think the problem was... Um, no Smash? Yeah. No, not No Smash. I think the problem was basically... We there were not there was nothing. There are no surprises. I mean, Angel, it's funny that you were saying like, "Oh, the stuff I'm most interested in are things I've seen before," because those are things you know you have your interests in already. But like, you could have individual game preferences, right? Like, I was making fun of the farming games a second ago, and and honestly, to be fair to the farming games, um, it wasn't that much more intense than the number of shooters you have on like a game award broadcast or summer game fest or an E3 conference for other platforms. Like it's just that, you know, the switch, um, a huge portion of its audience came into games like animal crossing and their success with stuff like Stardew Valley. So there are millions of people basically who spoke with their wallet in such a way that having these farm games and having Disney dreamlight Valley, like there's a big market on switch for that. So if you're capturing that audience, then obviously, yes, that's a chunk of the direct, you know, just like call of duty and halo lead to a ton of shooters on Xbox and PlayStation. Like it's sure. Um, and the same goes with the JRPG stuff. Like, there's a lot of JRPGs in this. Um, even the farming games were half JRPG. You know, Harvestella, Rune Factory 3, Story Seasons. Uh, but it makes sense because, again, like, the other thing about the Switch, it's really sort of carried the torch as the de facto JRPG system from, like, the DS and 3DS days. So it really isn't a surprise that, like, Square Enix would have six games in the showcase, even though personally I don't care about those six. Or that some of the bigger reveals, like Tales of Symphonia Remastered, fall squarely in the RPG bucket. Um, so, yeah, again, if that's your speed, that's cool. You know, nothing really groundbreaking. There are some sequels I know will catch people's eye. Octopath Traveler 2 kind of carrying on what the first one did so well. So, okay. But individual preferences aside, I think the bigger thing that I was trying to get a second ago is I think the announcements and the number of surprises versus things we've seen before or elsewhere or just know exist, that's where it kind of didn't quite hit the mark. Because you could go in and be like, I'm not expecting much. And then the presentation was basically like, well, perfect, because we don't have much you don't already know. Like, they had stuff for subsets of audiences. They had stuff for certain crap. But, like, there wasn't anything that was, like, universally like, whoa, what? No way. Like, that was kind of the thing, I feel like. Um, the one thing that did strike me that I wanted to mention um, was just that I guess where Switch is at kind of in its life and what we're now seeing of Nintendo's first party output, which maybe is partly why it's like, what? No surprises. Um, I believe it was... Was it Steven Totillo from Axios? It was one of those reporters who, like, he tweeted, like, this graph and was observing that Nintendo is supporting Switch with first-party releases longer than their past four consoles. If anything, it's rivaling the rate of releases they previously would do on handhelds. Um, You know, typically a console for Nintendo is about five years. Handhelds are, like, eight years in terms of new games. Yet by the time Zelda comes out, uh, we're past the six-year mark for Switch. Pikmin 4, likely even later than that. And I don't know if you guys or anyone out there felt this when looking over the list of games after the presentation or during the presentation, but I'm weirdly getting shades of kind of the twilight years of the N64 era of all things. I mean, maybe part of that was because my mind was primed by them spending so much time on the Switch Online expansion pack and announcing N64 games for that. You mentioned Mario Party Angel and GoldenEye also included, which uh, I guess is a cool moment in copyright history. Um and granted, to be fair, the Twilight years are starting later for Switch than they did for N64, but, like, roll with me for a second here. Like, it's all very, like, kind of familiar. Like, you've got your sequel to the platform-defining Zelda game with Breath of the Wild 2, now, as we know, titled Kings, uh, Tears of the Kingdom. 
that's pretty much a spot in parallel to how Ocarina of Time was in the N64's earlier life, and then Majora's Mask was at the end. Then you've got your like direct sequel that will have a huge dedicated fan base, but is conveniently being worked on by an outside studio to free up Nintendo's resources. Back in the N64 days, it was Banjo-Tooie. You know, Rare obviously handled that. Here, it's Fire Emblem Engage over at Intelligence Systems. In both cases, you could kind of see the, how the game was built on top of what came before it on the same console. Like, it's just kind of expansion of existing stuff uh, you've got your Pokemon sequel. You know, Pokemon Stadium 2 on N64 is at the tail end, just building on top of the engine and foundation of that, of the original. Uh, and in November, we're getting Scarlet and Violet, building on top of the foundation and engine of the Wild Area from Sword and Shield. Then you've got your one big new thing that uses an established IP. N64, it was Paper Mario. Switch, you could argue, it's Pikmin 4. In both cases, it's not like a banner entry in a AAA franchise or anything of that caliber that would be new and exciting. It's just kind of a B-tier game, given a chance to shine to the largest install base it can. And lastly, you've got Kirby, just existing. Like, Kirby uh, 64 Crystal Shards came out, I think, about 18 months before the GameCube replaced the N64, and this time we got, like, an HD deluxe edition of Kirby Return to Dreamland. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, of course, there's a couple holes in my logic, if you can even call it logic. Um, Switch doesn't have a system replacing it officially anytime soon. Uh, in fact, unlike N64, its sales don't even seem to be waning much at all to require it. What? Whatever, whatever they come up with next, better let me transfer all the games I downloaded. I'm sure they probably won't. Will. But really no, 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 they probably that. will because they've talked many times about how the Switch is going to be almost more like an iPhone. Like they'll do updates that expand the family of consoles and kind of have that back compatibility. I mean, they have to. Like the eShop, they don't so have to. But the expectation the with a digital store like the eShop is too to do valuable. It. Yeah, no, I think they will. Um, especially because what I was trying to say is, like, if you look at, like, Switch's sales, I won't go too deep, but August MPD came out the other day. It's still the number one selling console in terms of units in all of 2022 up to this point. PS5 got heavy in August because inventory went up, but, like, Switch is still killing it. On the software side, like, Nintendo didn't release anything in August. They didn't have anything prominent in the very top of the top 20 sales chart, but they were the publisher with the most games this month. Five, five games in the top 20. So... Like, Nintendo can't really just, like, cut off Switch and be like, oh, well, it was losing support, it was losing Steam. Like, people are still buying it in droves. They're still buying the games in droves. That top 20 is only physical. I'm sure downloads match it. Like, there's no way, to your to your concern, Angel, that they're going to just, like, not support the eShop or whatever they do next, a Switch Pro or a Switch 2 or whatever it is. Um, but, yes, that's one reason that's not quite a real parallel 1064. The other is basically... Uh, we only know the first half of their 2023 lineup, so maybe there are some huge surprise AAA heavy hitters com- coming. Like maybe Metroid Prime 4 is still Switch bound. I doubt that though. Uh, maybe there's a new 3D Mario platformer, or there's been that rumor of EAD Tokyo doing a Donkey Kong game. But like right now, and I think this speaks to why everyone was kind of like eh on the direct. Like the vibe I got from that was what Nintendo was basically showing us was kind of like Twilight Years of the N64 Round 2. And I'm cool with that. Like, Good-looking games then, good-looking games now, but there's not, like, monumental new things. Even Zelda, I think, which is supposed to be the big AAA new thing, right? Like, that, to me, was the embodiment of what made the Direct, like, solid but not spectacular. Like, it feels like we got stuff we kind of already knew and not a lot in terms of surprises with Zelda. Like, Nintendo gave us the absolute bare minimum, in my opinion, of what they could have given us in order to say that they gave us something. You know what I mean? Like, we got a date, uh, May 12, 2023, 
Tiny Delay is previously going to be out by end of March. So Tiny Delay. Uh, we got the title, Tears of the Kingdom. And we got, what, 30 seconds of footage, I think? We, Actual we, gameplay? Have we confirmed that it's... It, it probably is, but have we confirmed that it's Tears and not Tears? It is Tears. It's Tears? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Why would it be Tears? Is it Tears? Pretty sure. Oh, what if it's... Te- oh, that's interesting, because there's theories that there's time travel, so maybe there's Tears through time. Hmm. Like you're tearing the timeline. Hmm. Yeah, that's why I wanted to know there's confirmation or not. Yeah, I thought it was tier. I thought someone verbally said it somewhere, but yeah, you might be right. Because Nintendo is hinting at time travel. Like, there was more hints outside of what they showed than what was in it. Like, in their press release, they're talking about how Link's massive adventure is starting again. And it's like, again, what's that supposed to mean? And people have noticed stuff that, like, you know, the the videos that do, like, two-hour breakdowns frame by frame of the 30 seconds of what we saw. Like, there's little things to chew on, I guess. But yeah, for the most part, title aside... We didn't really see anything we haven't seen before with that game. We already knew it was going to focus more on verticality and go into the sky, and they showed a little more verticality. Um, they did show that thing that maybe hints at there's something involving seven things to defeat or collect, or maybe it's a tie into the seven sages, but they showed that right before the gameplay footage started. We have no plot points. We have no. We have barely anything to chew on. I mean, part of me feels like Nintendo's just kind of towing the line to remind us this game exists without doing much success further because just saying, yes, this game exists will generate hype, but also because like I feel like their marketing cycles are so much more compact now. Like They like to really only roll out marketing for games a couple months out, but since we've known about this game since 2019, they're just like, uh, here's 10 seconds more. Oh, here's 10 seconds more. Like They don't know what else to do, but I don't know. It just like, it didn't, it, the key art for the game excited me more than the footage just because it looked really nice. Like I, I don't know. What, well, how'd you guys feel about Zelda? Um, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it looked, I mean, I don't want to say familiar, but different. <laughs> right. Cool, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, it didn't seem as I'm looking forward to exploring it. Well, yeah. actually just beating it and then exploring it after the fact, but yeah. Where where are you at with tears and or tears, Kevin? I've already made my opinion of Breath of the Wild very known on this podcast. I don't like so Breath of the Wild. So this didn't shift. Nope. And this didn't shift it. Yeah. Nope. It, this it is looks, more of the this same. Looks, this looks like Breath of the Wild again. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, which which to, to what Andrew was saying, yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Me saying they didn't do much in this presentation doesn't mean I don't think the game won't be good. I'm just kind of like, all right. Like that was the big finale. I'm just like, yep, a date is really all we got out of that. That was truly new. So, and I guess the title. Um, but yeah, did you guys have that? Were there any other games at all in the presentation that stood out to you guys? Any, any, uh, I mean, I had a any fans of Kirby? Like, like, I mean, I had a passing, like, like, oh, that's interesting that Tales of Symphonia was coming to Switch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was going to be like a new remaster or something, but I think it's just the one that's already been on PS4, Xbox 360 for the longest. Or maybe mm-hmm. Xbox One. And it's worse than the... It performs worse than the OG GameCube one. Which is super bizarre to me. Yeah, I've yeah. heard not great things about the remastered version. So it was kind of like, uh, do I even bother with it? I guess we'll see. Maybe we could see what impressions are on the Switch version. Maybe that one's the better one. But yeah, so... We have plenty of other Tales games to play. And I did already beat that one. So it's the one I'm least likely to rebuy, but maybe I will eventually just so I could play with Elvis, but you know, we got like six other games to go through first, so that's like ten years. Right. 
There'll probably be a full remaster by that point. Who knows? I mean, they could just keep re-releasing the same remaster. Um, That's true. Any any love for Kirby's Return to Dreamland Deluxe? The big, the only actual I think surprise that came out of that presentation. I don't think anyone. Not missed when that they came coming. out on the Wii and not now. Yep, yep, yeah. Um, not that it looks bad or anything, but I I think that game more than anything cemented to me that I was done with standard, just standard Kirby. Because it was I the barely, most back to basics they've done in a long time. Yeah, because yeah. I barely bothered with. Triple Deluxe and Planet Robobot, which I've heard good things about, but uh, yeah, I just yeah, I guess I was just kind of done with 2D platforming Kirby. They also had kind of an interesting, very weird, like the other ones, because those I still look forward to. Right, but, right, or even yeah. Return to Dreamland, like did something, or not sorry, not Return to Dreamland, that's it, Return to Dreamland. Even Forgotten Land did something um, new and different by comparison. Yeah. yeah, like that one, I'm still looking forward to playing. I just haven't gotten around to it. It's it's cool. Oh, yeah. It's it's a good time. Um, I I am. It is interesting that like not interesting. That's a weird, the wrong word. But I was sort of surprised to see them adjust the art style as they did. Like I don't know what exactly they did. It's like it's like sort of cel shade, and then they put big bold outlines and everything. But for like that's the first two D Kirby that's actually like shaking up its look in a while. They've all been very similar looking, so that was kind of interesting. But my my real thought is, um, I feel like Kirby's Return to Dreamland kind of represents nintendo's ports for the switch are now going back to the wii era like going into the direct there were all these rumors of wind waker hd and twilight princess hd jumping from wii u to switch that turned out not to be true uh, if it did happen i think it would have been the first time nintendo would be re-releasing re-releases uh but perhaps to that end like nintendo's attitude seemed like between stuff like return to dreamland and skyward sword hd last year or even you know how they confirmed switch sports golf which is now delayed till holiday but that's going to feature 21 holes from Wii sports specifically like it seems like they're now moving further back in their history to pull new content because i think they kind of dried up the wii u well almost entirely i can't think of a single wii u game that doesn't need the gamepad that isn't on switch yet um so if this means, you know, if, if they're going into the Wii days and they're doing Return to Dreamland Deluxe, if this means a second life for like Punch-Out on Wii or especially if, like the Excite Truck and Excitebox games, I would be very in favor of that. That would be cool. Like I think one of the strong suits of the Switch library at this point, um, this many years into PS5 and the Xbox series outpacing it technologically, like I think at this point what it really has um, is it's become a great like in case you missed it machine. You know, like being able to have the Excite games be accessible to a larger audience than the Wii's, to have, you mentioned Tales of Symphonia remastered, you know, it's years of cult status, it's re-releases kind of over the years to have it now on Switch with 100 plus million people that could check it out versus on GameCube when it was whatever, like, that'd be, I get that, that's cool. Even more modern stuff, I thought it takes two coming to Switch, Um, well, maybe not, like, in case you missed it in the same way as these other games I'm describing, but as a Switch-only gamer of which there are probably millions like me, let's be honest. Uh, I think it's great that such a well-received multiplayer-centric title is now coming to the console that literally bakes in proper multiplayer support without an extra controller needed. Um, I know in the case of that one, Angel, you've had good things to say about it, about It Takes Two, right? Did we ever talk about it on the show? I'm pretty sure we did. I'm like did we? I'm 90% sure we did. But it, go it's... Back, but... Definitely recommend it. I mean, it's like perfect for Switch. It's definitely just a co-op game. I'm shocked it wasn't on Switch from the beginning, but yeah, yeah. But now here it fun, is. Genre jumping. I feel like the less is said, the better because mm-hmm. I, you really want to experience this game going in knowing as little as possible. 
just so every level could be like a nice treat and surprise. Like, well, what are we doing next? Like, oh, we're doing this now. Oh, the game controls like this now. No, no, right. it's, it's really cool. It's really fun. Yeah, and it and like you know that's not the only sort of third party in case you missed it type thing like Crisis Core, you know, getting highlighted in the direct. I think that's also maybe to kind of put end point on the direct, at least for me. Uh, I think that's maybe the thing about this direct is so much stuff was familiar, be it because it's stuff we've seen years ago on other platforms, be it because it was already announced in some capacity. That I think is where it's kind of like, oh, okay, like there's a lot of quality stuff in there, a lot of stuff for people who haven't played these games that they can now play, but nothing really like you know, stole the show. And I think that's partly because like the switch is at the age where it's not going to get cyberpunk or whatever, or it's not going to get something that comes out in tandem, like a cyberpunk or GTA six or what have you. So you're kind of looking at like, well, here's some great stuff that you may have seen before, but like, look at it now on switch. And there's a lot of people that appeals to, I guess. So yeah. So like, a so yeah, saw but not spectacular is how I still consider that direct. Uh, was there anything else you want to talk about the director? I know Kevin, you you weren't big on the direct, but uh, I I suspect because I see it on the list, you have things you like about the new AirPods. Oh. Nope, let's save that for next. <laughs> no, we're gonna save it. Wow, dramatic twist! All right, everyone, that, tune that in next time for isn't AirPods. Looking at the list. Yep. Does it say it? Does it say wow. it? I, I, to be fair, have not looked in the last the couple professionalism. minutes. Professionalism. Hold on, my list. I can't. Thereof. My list doesn't say save it. I just want to be clear. My my note did not update in the cloud. Well, my updated in real time, so... I'm refreshing it, and it's still... Nope. The last update yeah, says my... was 45 minutes ago. So I have the full... Oh, here it goes. It just kicked in. Ah, okay. Well, I guess we'll stop there then. Yeah, um, to, what a tease for next... You need to get that figured out, Jason. I think I just need to... Or... Well, I'm off. I'm to, off Wi-Fi you turn something off and turn it on? Yeah, I think I need to turn my phone off and on. I will say real quick, speaking of phones, I am not the biggest fan of Apple moving the notifications to the bottom of the phone in iOS 16. I understand the accessibility reasons. Easier for your thumb to reach, but I don't know. It it messed up my wallpaper. Likewise, on watchOS 9, they changed a bunch of the complications that messed up my watch face. Great features, but for updates all about personalization, they made it less personal by taking away options. So, harumph. That's that. But if you want to hear about AirPod two, uh, AirPod Pros two, AirPod Pro twos, tune in next episode, I guess. Um, anything else we want to cover this time, or should we just wrap it up? Yeah, we might as well. Okay. Well, to do the usual business, then you can find us on the internet. We are on streaming apps for podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, uh, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. Our YouTube channel is Ramtel.com. I feel like I forgot some. Pandora. Yeah. We're on all the apps is the point. You can also follow us on Twitter at RamNintendo to make sure you don't um, miss anything that we ever do. We're also individually on Twitter. I am JSR7. Kevin is KVNGOMI. Angel is W-E-I-R-O underscore O. And I think with that... um, Who wants... You know, fight to the death. Someone. Final word. Or no one. Okay. No one's doing the final word. It just ends there. Goodbye. <laughs>